Today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy. Whether you're new to making or looking to advance skills in a favorite hobby, Craftsy is the place to learn. With over 1,500 classes, there's something for everyone, from knitting and sewing to baking and cooking, gardening, embroidery, quilting, and more. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a full year of Craftsy Premium Membership for just $3. That's 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 211 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about blurring the lines between art, craft, design, and poetry with my guest, E. Bond. E. makes digital spaces by day, handmade books by night, hangs out with trees on weekends, and writes something close to poems in the spaces between. Under the studio name Rough Draft Books, created in 2003, she makes one-of-a-kind artist books, printed pieces, and abstract drawings that merge and blur the boundaries of art, craft, design, and poetry. E holds a BFA in graphic design and art history from Moore College of Art and Design, and an MFA in creative writing and book art from Mills College. E Bond, welcome. Hi, thanks so much. I'm so excited to have you. I absolutely love your artwork. I'm a huge fan, and so it's such an honor to be able to talk with you about it. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up. Um, you're on the West Coast now, I think, and you grew up yeah. on the East Coast, right? So um, yeah. tell us a little bit about what your family was like when you were a child and what you were like when you were a child. Sure, yeah. I um, spent a lot of my time on the East Coast when I was a kid. We moved around a lot, but I kind of like to say I grew up between New Orleans and Washington, D.C. So I spent my summers in New Orleans with my grandmother, and I spent my winters and school days with my mom in D.C. <laughs> so it was fun. It was fun kind of having these two lives um, for a, a bulk of my, I think I stopped maybe when I was 21 doing that. So it, it was the bulk of my growing up life was between these two women. And they both were very artistic and just very free, you know, and they let me kind of just explore and figure out all the kinds of things that I was interested in doing and making. And what were you interested in doing and making? Were you always an artistic person? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I even went to an arts high school. So from very, very early on, I really just kind of knew that that was a space I like to inhabit. Like that was the way I was most easily able to communicate um, visually. So I made a lot of collages as a kid, I remember, <laughs> on the walls. And um, there was a lot of cutting and pasting. 
I think. <laughs> That's funny. And were you interested in writing too and kind of the poetry side of things or did that come later? That came a lot later, you know, like I was an avid, avid reader my entire life and I still am. Um, but the writing part came later. It was just, I think the reading, of course, leads to that, right? You just keep seeing all these beautiful ways that language is um, used. And then you start to think, oh, maybe maybe I can start to try to figure out some of this stuff. But yeah, that came much later, kind of in college, I guess. And it sounds like you just loved books and you make books now. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you had favorite books or book series or things like that. You remember from being an avid reader as a child, things that you just love to read. As a kid, yeah. yeah. And um, I, the, the biggest ones that stand out to me were the Judy Bloom books. Oh, yeah. You know, as a young kid. <laughs> I just remember like, wait, you know, you waiting for the next one or is there another one? Did I miss one? You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Fervor for, um, for her. But I think that was the, the, the one that stuck out the most to me as like a series. Mm -hmm. But I remember even younger though. Do you remember these Richard scary books? Oh yeah. Those. We have the whole set and they're so awesome because there's so many illustrations in them and you can just yes. stare at the yes. one page for like half an hour looking at all the little tiny drawings. Exactly. I think that was the thing. There was just so much content, you know, like on these pages. And every time you looked, I just felt like you could find something different or a whole different story, you know, like each time. But I remember those a lot. Yeah, it's funny how the books and illustrations and books that are around us or even art on the walls when we're a child, like mm -hmm. are just ingrained in our memory. So yeah, it's, it's so true. interesting. Yeah. I remember my grandmother would, there just would be stacks of books and magazines everywhere. So I feel like there was just always ample things to read or explore. And I think that that, that definitely shaped me, you know, <laughs> just, just always thinking about like um, having things around that would inspire, you know, uh -huh. in some way that you don't even know yet because you haven't even opened it. But the fact that it's like there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you went to college and, and it sounds like you, you were artistic. You realized this about yourself, that you express yourself best through making art. Right. Um, and so um, tell us a little bit about what your college years were like. They were great. I went to an all women's art college in Philadelphia, which was like the only one in existence except for one in Korea and one in Japan at the time. <laughs> they were sister schools. <laughs> and now I don't I don't even know if 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 there's even one. I mean, I know more is still still there in Philly. So, yeah, I went to Moore College of Art and I moved to Philly from D.C. to go there and I majored in finally majored in graphic design and art history. And it was really hard for me to pick a pick a degree. That's why I say finally, because <laughs> I didn't want to pick. I just wanted to be, I always like kind of being in the middle. Mm -hmm. And so um, was graphic design a choice because you felt like it was practical and you could potentially get a job that actually paid? Because I know a lot of people who are interested in art get sort of steered toward graphic design mm. or architecture for that reason. Yeah. No, I have to be honest. I don't have much practical bones in my body. You know, like um, I picked design for, for one real reason that it was the place that words and pictures came together. 
So if I had to pick one, like I, because I really love drawing, but then I really love words, you know, even then. So I couldn't figure out any other space that were, that was actively like kind of utilizing or exploring both. So I just figured, okay, it's got to be this one because this way I can learn about type and I can learn about how to use words and then I can still like get some drawing in there and, you know, (laughs) play around with images. Right. Yeah. And when you were in school studying graphic design, was that, I don't know exactly how old you are, but was that sort of in the computer (laughs) sort of age of graphic design and, and the Adobe suite or was that prior Oh my gosh, I was like right kind of in that precipice of um, we were still learning all the hand skills, like painting letters with gouache, you know, like hand painting letter forms, and then also learning Photoshop. And back then it was PageMaker, can right. you believe it? Yeah. Um, then Quark Express. But so I was like right on that precipice of like things moving to digital, but more was really also well more was really great even um many years into digital that they still did like really revere hand skills and kind of like craft the craft of things so luckily um i learned that that part too yeah i do feel like it's lucky because i think if you go to graphic design school now you kind of miss out on that piece no it's so true because i mean i ended up teaching for more for many years and it you know, you could see how they they really fought to try to keep some of these hand skills within the curriculum. You know, I mean, they were the first um, school where I taught bookbinding, you know, because they wanted the designers to actually have skills in how they would make a form that they were trying to design. You know, they, they thought about that even back then. So. Yeah. And so did you take bookbinding class or get exposed to creating books when you were an undergrad? No, not, not at, at all. all. Okay. No, and I was horrible at it. You know, I, was just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of my projects, I, I used to show my students. I was like, this is the first book I made, you know, like, look at this. It's a hot mess, you know? So like, it's, yeah, it's beautifully designed, but I didn't understand the form. I didn't understand the structure. Like, how do these physical things come together? And so I, after grad, I mean, after undergrad, I just kind of, happenstance started to take book art classes because a good friend of mine was said, you know, my friend D was like, come, come take these classes with me. Let's just like play, you know? And that's when it, that's when it hit me. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this existed. Yeah. (laughs) But again, it combines your two loves of words and illustration and images. Exactly. In the most perfect way, just like graphic design does. Yeah, it was perfect. It was like that, that missing piece for me because You know, in school, I'd learned how to manipulate these two things to make, you know, content. But I hadn't really explored at all the form that this content would fit in. So when I found bookmaking or bookbinding and book art, I was like, oh, wait, you know, I can also somehow access the actual forms that this content can go in. And then it was just like, you know, love at first sight. Yeah, brings it full circle. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. And so were you working? Did you get a job right after undergrad? And then we're doing these classes with your friend, like on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So were you working as a graphic designer? Yeah, I had a day job, you know, like I always call them like my day life and (laughs) nightlife or whatever. But yeah, I had a day gig. I was probably freelancing graphic design. 
And then um, we would take these classes, I think at UArts, University of the Arts had this, has this great like book art program in Philly. Um, and yeah, we would just sign up and try different things, you know, box making, different kinds of forms. And and then at night I would just go crazy and just try to learn all, you know, all these different kinds of structures, I guess. You know, at that point I was really just trying to understand structure or how things were made. And so is that when Rough Draft Books kind of emerged around yeah. so around that time? Yeah, like probably about maybe four or five years after that, you know, when I started to think, oh, okay, well, maybe I have some skill in this now, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I started to make them make a lot of blank books. And I thought I could start to sell them or see if people would like them, you know, but before then, I was just kind of giving them away to anyone who take them. (laughs) But um, yeah, so around that time, around 2003 was when I thought, okay, I think these are actually like, beautiful and useful and, you know, make sense for someone other than just me. Yeah. So creating kind of the cover that's maybe painted or stamped or decorated, spray painted, mm-hmm. whatever, in yeah. different ways, and yeah. then has the registers inside already, but they're blank. And so it's like a blank book somebody can purchase. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So that's what, yeah, that's exactly what I was doing back then and a, and a lot of them. So even when I had full-time jobs, you know, or when I was teaching, um, adjunct teaching, because my my life always kind of had those three things going. So some form of teaching, some form of maybe a design job, and then some, for, some form of art making, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, so, and I think they all fueled each other. Like I didn't like when one kind of dropped off or disappeared, because I've tried it all different ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, somehow like the rotation of those three things always kind of fueled me and the artwork. Yeah, you're lucky that way because then it's also three different income sources too kind of coming in. So absolutely, yeah. No. yeah, it was like this kind of again. I wasn't. I didn't even. I wasn't doing it on purpose. I didn't even know, you know, because like I said, I don't have very good like practical <laughs> parts of my my brain. But like I've been lucky to kind of then see. Oh, this does work well, you know, like these multiple revenue streams, and um, and so it's fueling me. it's enabling me to be able to afford to make the work, but it's also fueling me to be a good teacher and or a good designer and or artist, you know? Right. Yeah, that's great. And I noticed when you write out rough draft books, it's all in lowercase letters. And then the Mm -hmm. A is uppercase. And I wonder, is that right? So I wondered why I mean, I love that you're obviously playing with type, and it's very eye catching. But I wondered if you could talk about the decision to do that. Yes, well, so much of the beginnings of making these handmade books, I kept getting feedback um, that they were too beautiful to write in. Oh, yeah. So many people <laughs> had have these like notions about beautiful objects that they they're somehow for saving, you know, and not for either living with or using. So that's why I even picked the name Rough Draft, because I thought, OK, I keep trying to find a way to get people to understand or feel maybe the way I feel that beauty should be in every day. Like, just use it. It could be a mistake. You could, you know, just write your grocery (laughs) notes in it or your grocery list or whatever. Like, if we could think about it more as like a a rough draft and not as like this final perfect thing that has to be like gorgeous at the end of the day, like your perfect sketchbook. So I even tried to typographically, let's say, show a mistake. You know, oh. so like the A is capital. 
you know, it just it looks like a mistake, you know, if you're thinking like, oh, all of this should be lowercase or whatever. So it was just like a nod, kind of mostly to me or type. Ner- I mean, who else is really going to be thinking about that? But um, but it was just like this nod of like one thing's not right. Right. Okay. That totally makes sense now. I love the the story behind it. And and your own name is lowercase, I noticed as well. And yeah. so I wonder if you could talk about that. And also your first name is just the letter E. And um and that's very unusual. So there's gotta be a story there as well. Yeah, that is unusual. And that's not has nothing to do with me. That's all my mom. And 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 the fact that it's lowercase was her her idea and her choice, even though it's very hard to um to make happen in the real world, just because everything uppercase is like your name or whatever. And don't get me started on forms, like forms on the internet that won't even let me put the name in because it's not more than one letter, you know, like, yeah, so yeah. Put, like double or triple E's just so it'll take the form, you know, but anyway, um, <laughs> but she, she, when she had me, you know, well, basically the story kind of goes that she wanted it to be either E or X. And I'm a kid who was born in the early 70s, so you have to kind of think of that time frame, too. But um, And she just wanted it to be something. And my last name is Bond. Again, very kind of generic, B-O-N-D. So if you saw this E-Bond, she wanted it to be something that you would have no preconceived notions about who this person was on paper. This is the kind of thing that doesn't could never happen now because everything, you know, from the minute you're born, there's pictures of you on the Internet and, you know, there's Instagram. And but like in the early 70s, you can go like the bulk of your life without having pictures of you showing up in places on resumes or things like that. So for her, it was this chance of a blank slate, you know, like no one would know um, race, no one would know ethnicity, no one would know religion, no one would know gender. Yeah. And you would have to meet me. You'd have to meet me in order to start to make whatever decisions you were going to make. Wow. So she's like super cool, needless to say. <laughs> yeah. that's. I feel like that's so like visionary. It feels like yeah. ahead of her time. Yeah. yeah to she, think that way. Yeah. Super cool. Totally ahead of her time. Always, you know. And she always told me growing up that I could, I could name myself again if I wanted to. You know, like she's like, if you want to change it, you can change it. But... I didn't want to change it. I mean, you know, it's who I am. So, yeah, and it suits you. I mean, it came to suit you very well. I feel like, yeah, so. totally. It worked. It worked out great. It's yeah. a great artist name too. Like, I mean, who knew I, what I was gonna be? But like, it worked out. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Craftsy. And here is a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you're new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills. We have classes for all maker levels and interests, from knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, paper crafts, and more. Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you can get a whole year of their premium membership for only $3. Visit CraftsyOffers.com to sign up, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. For only $3, you'll get a full year of access to over 1,500 premium full-length classes. It can be challenging to know where to go to learn new things, especially when you're an absolute beginner. 
Craftsy's instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. If you're an experienced maker and looking for new challenges and fresh projects, Craftsy is for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches, from eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their field. With over 1,500 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a year of Craftsy Premium Membership for just $3. That's 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at CraftsyOffers.com. And now, back to my conversation with E. Yeah. Okay. So um, how did you get the teaching job? It was back at the college where you studied. Um, And I I think that teaching at a college or at the college level is really kind of a dream for a lot of people. So I wondered how you, did you just apply or um, did you have a connection or? Again, it's another one of these, like, I call, like, I just call them like these gifts, you know, that happen in life where something just aligns. So I was recently out of undergrad. So I was very young when, when this gift happened, uh, maybe 24, 25. And um, my department chair, uh, you know, called and was thinking she had this visionary idea about making designers learn hand skills. She's like, you know, I, I heard you've been doing a lot of bookbinding and stuff like that. And I really want the students to, to have these skills in order to present their work better. And would you want to teach a class? And I was like, scared to death. I was right. like, no, <laughs> no, I do not want to teach a class. You know, like, I don't know what I said. I don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, absolutely not. You know, and she, I mean, she's amazing. Gigi McGee. She's just amazing. But she, um, so she said, okay, no problem. You know, and, and we kept in touch or whatever. And then a year later, she calls again or she, you know, she said, you know, we never really got that idea off the ground. You know, stuff got busy. And um, so I'm asking you again, what do you think? And I don't know what it was like. Of course, I was not very old at the time, but something just clicked in me that said, you know, like you don't get gifts like this more than once. Like, so just try it. Just try it. You never know if you're going to love it, hate it or whatever, but at least you'll know. And so at this time I said yes. And then I said with a caveat, <laughs> could I, could we team, could I team teach the class with my friend and fellow alum, D. Collins, who was also learning and really becoming this amazing bookbinder. And she was more on the conservative, like the conservator side of bookbinding. So she was learning that kind of structure. And something in me just thought like the two of us together, like me with my, my, more freeform binding and also like the design stuff. And then these conservator stuff would really be a cool, like mix for, for young people. And they said, yes, they were actually were just like, sure, let's try it, you know? And then like, you know, it went on for like seven years later. It was just one of the most popular classes. And we were get we were having like 
huge, huge groups of um, people sign up for it. And it was so fun because it, it ended up not being just for designers anymore. Everyone was signing up. Photographers were signing up, textile designers, you know, fashion designers, painters. And that's what made the class to me so good because all of these different people were mixing in that in that one space. And they were just thinking about forms and they were totally informing each other's work. It was so cool. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and so I know you've worked at, for your day job. We talked about how you have these three different parts, yeah. the teaching <laughs> and the yeah. art making, and there's the day job as a graphic designer. And I know you've yeah. worked for some really well-known companies as a yeah. graphic designer for The Gap. I saw some of the campaigns that you've made and for Anthropology, which has got one of the most beautiful visual brands, I feel like, of, of the totally. bigger of yeah, the bigger companies. Yeah. yeah. So talk a little bit about that side of your life and your professional yeah. world. Yeah. Well that always yeah, that always seems to play like this this background music to my life. But it really when when I do stop and think about it, I'm like, it really is amazing as well. You know, like I think about it as my day job and I probably don't give it as much <laughs> um, love, you know, as I should. But um, but it still enables me to make something every day. And that's honestly all I really want to do, you know, is like as long as I can make something every day, I'm good. So like in, in these design jobs, you're, you know, you're able to make things. And it started out at Anthro, where I was doing some of their first web work, some of the first like design for the for their e-commerce site. So that's like the wild, wild west back then of like, you know, like e-commerce and everyone not quite knowing how that was going to go. And everyone was still very catalog based at that time. Yeah. So like the web was kind of under the radar and they let us do a lot of stuff that like would never fly now. You know, um, we just got to play. And so that job really was amazing for me because I really just played. I got to draw, like literally draw and on the site, you know, um, so things weren't so templatized and, and stuff now because, you know, now people know like that's where they generate their money. But back then they were just like, oh, just give anything a shot. We'll see. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's almost like in like newspapers where like all the main real focus was on the print publication. So right. whatever the web team was doing was like, yeah. you know, supplementary like, and just let yeah. them do whatever. <laughs> totally. They're like, just let them play around and flash or whatever the program was at the time, <laughs> you know, like let's see what goes down. And so I think it was a really um, fruitful time for me artistically because, well, at least with Anthro, our styles kind of matched. And, and that doesn't happen a lot as a graphic designer, I have to say. You know, like you don't necessarily ever work for a company where your personal aesthetic kind of matches the aesthetic of the brand. In fact, that like kind of never happened. So that was just like a fluke a lucky fluke that that somehow we liked a lot of the same principles of design, like the idea of the handmade, the idea of imperfection, you know, the idea of of textures and, and kind of rougher things as opposed to slick or or, you know, bolt, you know, so that that was just lucky. And then like with other brands like Gap, let's say like that wasn't so much the case. Like, you know, they're they're very different <laughs> from from Anthro. But it's still that same idea of getting to use the muscles of problem solving and you know, like figuring out words and images 
which I just still really, really enjoy. Yeah. And so do you still have that day job going? Is it with one of these big companies? Are you freelancing? What do you, what does your day job look like today? Yeah. So like this right now, (laughs) because it it does change a lot, but right now I do, I am, I'm full-time for a company called Athleta, which is, you know, a sister brand of Gap, but it's more um, focused on empowering girls and women, you know, like through movement and sports. So it's like a, a sports brand, but for, for women. And I love it. It's like smaller, you know, it's a smaller company and they have a lot of social, social justice kind of leanings, you know, like they're trying to do a lot like in, in the world, which is nice. So some of the projects are more varied and, and more, you know, fun to, to do during the day. Yeah. And also really supportive. I have to say, you know, like it's nice when you find companies that are also really supportive of your other life. Right. In other words, they're not like, oh, you're spending time on your own business outside of this and we don't really right. want you yeah. to be doing that. Instead, they're like, you're an artist, make art, yeah. and, and right. they want you to do that. That's right. great. And it's, right. And on some level, I think companies probably have to understand that, especially if they are creative, creativity-based, that you have to foster that in people if you want good work. Like if you want good work for your brand – then you kind of have to foster that in in the people, you know, and that can't be their sole outlet because if not, then everything just starts to look alike. Yeah. Okay. So on the art front, you have a website where you're selling your books and I think you're selling them on Etsy, right? Is that... Oh, no, not anymore. I brought it all kind okay. of in-house. in-house. So okay. it's all like, yeah, it's all on my site now. Got it. And you're sharing on Instagram. Yeah. And, um, and I wondered, I know... I want to talk about glyphs, which is your fabric line, which is just incredible. But I wondered how that came about. Like, how did you connect with the folks at Free Spirit? Did they just see your work on Instagram? Did you meet them somewhere? Or how did that sort of connection happen? Yeah. Yeah. Again, those like those small gifts, right? Like they just kind of flourish into these like amazing opportunities. I think it was sometime during the early, early on during the pandemic, like the first month or so um, when everyone was just not knowing what to do, you know? And um, I think, oh yeah, I'm trying to remember what happened. Yeah. So um, there was, my cousin is an avid quilter. Like she's an amazing, amazing quilter, Sarah Bond. Yeah. And so someone had maybe seen us talking on Instagram or something back and forth. So one of her friends then starts to follow me, who's also a, an avid quilter and like this amazingly successful quilter. And so she says to Sarah, she's like, does your cousin make fabric or so- something like as simple as that? She's like, she should make fabric. I mean, I want to use her fabric. And my cousin just kind of texts and goes, do you want to make fabric <laughs> like out of the blue? Like, I mean, you know, just like, I'm like, what, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, I always thought about that, but I never really um, researched it enough to see like, how does that happen? You know, anyway, so this long story short, the the friend of Sarah Victoria um, says, I want to, I want to connect you with this, this fabric company. I'm working with them. Is and this I, um, you, Victoria Finlay Wolf or a different Victoria? Yes, okay. Victoria Finlay Wolf. Okay, so that was her friend. So she was the one who said, "I want to connect you, E, with Free Spirit." Yeah, yeah. Okay. She's like, "I'm working with um, 
this this company, Free Spirit, and I think you should work with this company. And I said, well, that's really kind of you if you want to, like, you know, introduce us and, you know, I'll let you know how it goes. Because, you know, we were just um, getting to know each other, too. And so, you know, I thanked her and she did exactly what she said. You know, she introduced us and the rest is history. I'm on re- already doing the second collection. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And I just I love that people are willing to share their connections and yes. help one another yes. when they see something beautiful to make that yeah. come out into the world. So that's me too. Heartening. Me yeah. too. And I, I just feel like it is such a gift and it's so, like the kind of thing you have to like pay forward, you know, like, you know, like help the next person help the, you know, because it is, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, that probably would have never happened without her just saying, because our paths just wouldn't have crossed. I wouldn't have crossed with a fabric company or with a quilting, you know, kind of community, you know, in that way. So yeah, sometimes it's just about like one person making the connection. Yeah. And I also think it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been sharing your artwork on Instagram because it sounds like that's where the initial conversation with Sarah happened, et cetera. And so I wondered if you could just sort of talk about how you use Instagram and your approach to Instagram and thoughts about putting your work out there in that way. Yeah. um, I think social media for me is, is a rough or a, um, a hard relationship sometimes just because I'm not, um, overtly a kind of person who likes to just talk or share, you know, (laughs) but there's something about Instagram that worked for me. It's the only one I can kind of participate in. I just picked one, you know, and I was like, I'm going to love this and enjoy this one, you know, and I picked the one that was mostly visual, of course, because I thought that like, um, if nothing else, I could have these conversations about art, hopefully, you know, so I kind of, I use it that way. You know, I use it as this way of getting ideas out of my own head, you know? And I, I mean, I post a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that's not even done, you know, like, or a lot of sketchbook um, pages and things like that, because to me, it's not really about like the finished product of things, but it's kind of like the thinking through. And Instagram is nice for that, I think, because it has also inadvertently for me become this record so I can use it to go back and and say okay well in in 2020 at this point I was thinking about shape in this way or you know so it's become this really amazing tool for me I have to say and I did not know that was going to happen it's almost like a document um another sketchbook so to speak Yeah. And I love that you have an idea of the kind of conversation you want to have, a conversation about art. And it's not about showing finished, gorgeous, perfect objects, but it's about process and your thought process, what's happening in your mind as an artist. And um, I think that's a good way for people to go into it. Like I'm going to use this as I have a vision for how I'm going to use this. And it's not going to be about getting as many likes as possible or anything like that. It's going to be like a a back and forth. I think that's a really good point. What you just said to have a vision going in and to use it as a tool. Like if you just think about it as any other tool that you would use in order to make something, then that's what you do. I mean, that's, that's the way you, you will, kind of approach it, you know, like, I think that 
especially as an artist, like I need, I need to use it as a tool for, for conversation, for exposure, for uh, communication between like kind of people, you know, like it's nice to be like, oh, wow, that person is also thinking about this. That's really cool. Or look at how that person is doing, doing this thing. Um, I think it's also, you know, useful in those ways. Like I don't have any need for it in other ways, like in personal ways or in, you know, so I think it's just like deciding what you need the tool for, just like anything else, the computer or the, you know, exacto knife or whatever. You just, a tool is perfect for its job. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's great. That's a really great perspective. And so I want to talk about this fabric collection. There are 16 prints. It's called Glyphs. And each one, I I have to tell you that I love this fabric collection more than any fabric collection I've seen in like, I don't know, years. I mean, it is so beautiful. I showed it to my whole family and I just love it so much. So are you a quilter? I am. I make some quilts. I love, I didn't, yeah. yeah. I I mean, I mostly sew stuffed animals, but I I do make some quilts, but, um, but I love abstract art. I love, I just, I just love it so much. So each of the prints is named after a black woman writer. And I just wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about it, how you made it. Um, and, and you're not a quilter, so it's interesting, like, but you managed to make such gorgeous fabric. So just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And honestly, yeah, I feel like I'm very, um, outside of that community, you know, and I'm learning so much more about it, like through my cousin, Sarah and Victoria and all these people who are so kind enough to kind of like open the door, you know, to this, to this world. So, yeah. So you have to understand, like, for me, this is just a drawing project. You know, this was just a drawing project for me that kind of manifested in, into fabric, Um, which again is another thing I love about kind of just being open to whatever the product is, is fine. Like, you know, not worry about that, but just kind of be in the process of the making. So yeah, I had just been kind of on this tear (laughs) for years about um, shapes, but also language. I kept trying to figure out, you know, or think about kind of roll it around in my head, this idea of the inadequacies of language and what would happen if we kind of rewrote, um, you know, the alphabet, let's say, what would happen if we started to think about um, maybe what was missing in, in what we use as language in order to be able to express ourselves maybe in a more fuller way. And I mean, I, I started, oddly enough, I, was reading Carlo Rovelli, which is, he's a physicist, you know, but again, it's always these weird connections, but he was talking, he was just talking about like the inadequacies of grammar and like how sometimes you, you can't experience a thing that you can't talk about, you know, and how things, one informs the other. So anyway, a lot of this was just rumblings around like, what would, what would, um, alphabets or glyphs or the beginnings of language look like, you know, like in my world, (laughs) you know, in my head, (laughs) if I were rebuilding this entire amazing thing called the alphabet. So that's how it all kind of started. So what led me then to the, the women was personal. So it was this idea of, like I said, I've been an, an avid reader my whole life. So I started to ask the questions of like, well, 
well, what were the beginnings of my language? You know, what are the beginnings of how I started to understand the capacity of what language could do? And and the the answers I, I was getting were these women, because these were the women that I was either reading or these were the women that the women I was reading were probably reading. You know, so it was this idea of beginning. So I even tried to go back further than say who I'm reading right now. Like none of the women in the collection are alive because I thought it would be important that if I'm talking about a beginning of something or pre-language, then it needed to be ancestral in some way. So that's how I got to the naming then of, of the collection for black women writers and poets, because I thought, well, these are the people who taught me like the extraordinary abilities of of what language could do. So if I'm trying to like unravel maybe what it doesn't do, you know, like but these are the people who taught me what it could do and how amazing it could be. So yeah, that's kind of where it all started. And when you submitted the initial artwork mm-hmm. to Free Spirit for them yeah. to look at, like the collection yeah. together, I wondered if they had provided you with feedback or whether there was like a learning process for you since this was the first time that you'd gone through this and what kind of things that you learned through that. Yeah, that w- it, it was a learning process. Um, luckily, I think in the very beginning, I sent them so many things. And so they, they were really helpful in helping me cull it down and making it feel like a collection. Because I, I even remember, I think we started with, they, they really loved all my colorful stuff. Because I do tend to work in really, really bright colors. You know, this is kind of um, an outlier for me that this collection is mostly black and white. But there was something about, I, I think they actually even sent me a, um, two decks back and they said, you know, there's this, here's this kind of black and white thing that's happening over here that we can use maybe for like another collection down the line. And when I saw it, I was like, no, that has to be the first one. Huh. I was like, that has to be it. And they were like, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, I, it really, this is what has to happen now. And I don't know if it was because I was in 2020 or, you know, like, and everything just felt so, you know, black and white, you know, things just felt so polarized, but it also felt to me like if I was really thinking about this as um, something that was the beginnings of something, then this was before color too, you know, like in my head, I was thinking this was just black and white. This is just the beginnings. These are just these marks. But um, they also taught me a lot about um, when it comes to fabric, this idea of the scale of things. So, you know, like to think about it in, you know, smalls, mediums, and larges. And I love that like kind of quick note for me to always think, oh, okay, well, if I have a bunch of things together, then a quilter, let's say, would really love if, if there were some small patterns up against these really, really large ones that I do. Cause I tend, you know, you've seen the collection. Most of them are very big. <laughs> these are big marks. <laughs> so that was really nice to hear and to understand the usefulness of that, especially as a quilter is thinking about it very differently than I'm thinking about it. Right. Absolutely. And the second collection we haven't seen it yet. It's not no, yeah. not it's not out there yet, but it's it's colorful. Is that right? It's super colorful. It's like the complete opposite <laughs> of of glyph. So it's just going to be like um, yeah, very very bright. So yeah. we'll see. 
Yeah, that'll be cool to pair them too. So that sounds yeah. really, really cool. And you also have um, classes with Creative Bug. Yeah. And that is super interesting too. And so tell us first a little bit about what classes you have with them. And then we'll talk a little bit about the process of making those. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where, you know, the teaching went for me. You know, like after I moved west, um, you know, this wonderful experience with Creative Bug is like the, the outlet now for the for teaching, you know, where I'm not like teaching in a college anymore, but kind of teaching these classes that live live online kind of forever, which is really interesting to think about. But I teach, I mean, I have a, a few binding classes, book binding classes on there. One is unconventional structures. So again, it's um, about some of the more... The, the, some of the less traditional binding structures. And I, I use them a lot. I really like them because they allow you to bind single sheets of things. So again, it's like a, <laughs> a collage kind of book. You know, you can use a lot of things that are singular, but then put them together. So it's definitely my kind of form. <laughs> um, and then I have a, a new, a, the newest class is, I mean, it's really one of my favorites because it was where I finally got to put together words and images. So it's called, you know, called Words Meet Images. And there were there are 31 prompts from reading, you know, from actual things that you read or that I, from poems, from uh, podcasts, from music, things like that, that then prompt abstract, um, write, I mean, abstract drawing. So that one was really the nearest and dearest to my heart because it was again trying to like put these two things together that I love so much into something that someone could like hold and then bridge the gap between something that you read or that you learn about and then how could that you know make a piece of art in the world how can you do that how can you make that happen Wow, that's super cool. And there's one, is there one too about like map making? Not like yeah. actual maps, but like it's yeah. a kind of map. Yeah, personal map making, which is, that was the first one I ever did. And I mean, that, and that came from a hundred day project I was doing on Instagram. You know, again, like it's just these thought, thought based um, daily projects, which I love. I love doing that kind of stuff where I just made a map every day. But again, it was a map of like, not so much a physical space, but an emotional space, you know, like, again, it, it, it ties so closely to glyphs sometimes that it's funny, you know, because, again, it's trying to figure out all of the different ways of describing the indescribable, you know, in these in these ways. So with glyphs, I'm trying to think about well, how do we relearn <laughs> how to say these things through visual marks. And with the maps, I was trying to trying to make a space or trying to map a space that wasn't physical. And yes, that's also a 31 day class on creative bug. It's super fun too. Cause basically it really is still about abstract drawing. You know, it's just about drawing at the end of the day, but the prompts leading you into those spaces are about maps. <laughs> and were there things about teaching in an online space where you don't have students Right there, 
reacting, asking questions, giving you that quizzical look, like, I didn't get what you just said. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was that, how was that experience of online teaching? Or were there some positives about it that were different from, you know, some of your other teaching experiences? I think for me, initially, it was difficult, because I do really, really love the feedback, the immediate feedback of, like you said, the quizzical look or the fact that someone, you know, asks the question right after, you know, then I know, okay, I haven't made it clear enough. You know, I haven't made it clear enough to that person. I need to say it a different way. You know, like those things where when you're in a room with people, you can, you can course correct right there. You can show them, you can be like, look, you know, look at it this way. But when it's being filmed and then edited so beautifully by Creative Bug, let me tell you, because <laughs> they are hard. <laughs> You'd never want to see just like the, the regular <laughs> um, tapes. But it's, it's harder because we are anticipating the question. We're trying to anticipate the question or we're trying to anticipate where it might be difficult to understand. But we, we still don't know. You know, we still don't know until it's out there in the world. So that's the part where sometimes I wish it was a little bit more immediate. I mean, but we do have people in the room. Luckily, I have you have like an artist coach and you even have like even the camera people are great because they've done it so much that they're like, well, I didn't quite understand that. Like, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, let me try to say it a different way. Or maybe my hands weren't doing what my mouth was doing or saying, you know, so it it is a, a learning curve definitely teaching online. Yeah, absolutely. And do you, before we get to your recommendations, because you have some very good ones, do you have anything else coming up or anything that I didn't ask about that's important that you may wanted to talk about? Um, let's see, what else is coming up? Oh, I, I just finished a, a, an artist book. I haven't made one of those in a long time where I, you know, I made the the, you know, content form, you know, I thought about the whole thing for a show that's going to be at the University of Berkeley um, in the environmental library in, in, I think it starts in March, but it's going to go through May, which will overlap the time that Codex will be in town. And when I say in town, I mean like this San Francisco Bay Area because Codex is this amazingly cool, um, I think it's usually biannual, but because of COVID, it hasn't happened for a few years, but it's when all of these bookbinders and bookmakers and book artists come together in Richmond, California, and you get to see work from all over the world. It is just the coolest thing if you're a, a book person. So Codex is going to happen this year, hopefully. I mean, it's, it's, supposedly happening and so there's going to be a lot of really great book related things going on around around that and so this this show which was curated by julie chen who's this amazing book artist um the show will be up during that time nice okay that's great do you um does the show have a name do you know or that is a good okay (laughs) i think it's called adaptation okay um Adaptation and then something about like artist books in a changing environment. Okay. All right. Great. That's great. Um, Okay. I want to get to your recommendation. You have some really good ones. One of them is a poetry podcast. I think they're very short um, episodes and it's called The Slowdown. Yes. 
Oh my God. It's like one of my favorite things on the planet. I feel like I talk about this, this, um, podcast so much. It originated maybe about, I don't know, three or four years ago. It was when Tracy K. Smith was the poet laureate. And I think she did like two terms, but during the, I think the first term she started this podcast and it is amazing. It's never more than like five minutes. It happens every day where someone reads, it's not Tracy K. Smith anymore. It's Ada Limon, who is equally as amazing at at this. (laughs) She's so amazing. But she, she just talks a little bit about something. And when I say something, it really is just this beautiful rumination on something amazing that then leads you into the poem she's about to read. And then she just reads the poem and that's it. It's just amazing how inspiring it is but also I used to try to wake up to them like listen to them like first thing in the morning because it was just such a nice way to enter the world and then you could just go on that's wonderful I'm totally adding it to my queue um yeah it sounds fabulous and I think I appreciate that recommendation um another one you wanted to recommend was natural history the ultimate visual guide to everything on earth this is a book (laughs) Wow, that's a that's quite a statement, isn't it? It's like insane, and it's huge. It's like this really thick book, um, and I got it not really knowing much about it. But um, the book that I was making for that the show I just talked about adaptation, um, I was doing a lot of research about how how do we adapt as humans, and, and how do we not adapt, which led me into a lot of thoughts about extinction, like what happens when things go away. So I was, you know, trying to just get some information on this. And this was a really visual book, but it's so beautiful because it, you know what it reminds me of? This is so crazy because it almost reminds me of like Richard Scary books. (laughs) Um, Not in its density. I mean, it is pretty dense though, when you think about it, but they, a, a spread could contain just like all of these photographs. So it's not illustrated. It's all of these photographs, say, of like orchids. We'll just pick something. And then all the information, scientific information, um, environmental information, whatever, just about the orchid, you know. And then it's so it's just page after page of this, you know, of stones, rocks, trees. People probably are even in there. I haven't gotten that far, but it's really fun. It's like a kind of encyclopedia of stuff. Like a visual reference guide. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Okay. And then your last recommendation is art materials. So fine line masking fluid pen and the old school whiteout correction tape, which I remember using on my college applications, which I typed on a typewriter. So. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. They, I'm having so much fun with those right now and they're both just about erasure, I guess, you know, or about like, um, masking something out, you know, so that you can then draw on top of it. And then um, it, the masking fluid kind of repels whatever um, you're using. So if if you draw with the math, with the masking fluid, then whatever you've drawn is, is white underneath, you know, and then you've got color all around it. And then the old school (laughs) correction tape is this idea of kind of taking things away. I've been really into erasure poetry. And um, so 
so much of the book I made recently was erasure poetry. So it was about, you know, taking things away, like just idea of like redacted um, documents. But I, I was kind of liking the fact that I was the was like the person doing it and also redacting it. You know, like it was kind of fun to to be both of those things. In the book I made, I wasn't. I was actually using text that that wasn't mine. But but in these other little projects I've been doing, I'm like, well, I want to be the writer and then also the person who censors mm-hmm. at the same time. Wow, that is so fascinating. Okay, well, E, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for this. This was really fun. (laughs) And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Craftsy. Whether you're new to making or looking to advance skills and a favorite hobby, Craftsy is the place to learn. With over 1,500 classes, there's something for everyone, from knitting and sewing to baking and cooking, gardening, embroidery, quilting, and more. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a full year of Craftsy Premium Membership for just $3. That's 97% off the regular price. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Thank you so much, Craftsy. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.